Where were the other drugs going? What? Where were the other drugs going? What? Where were the other drugs going? Do I look like a cop? What? Do I look like a cop? Why? What? Swear to me! Let's get this show on the road, gang. And Chris Honeywell. Now with 33% more Michael Bailey. Yeah, bitches. I said Michael Bailey. Hello and welcome to Two True Freaks. This is Comics Monthly Monday number 28, and I am Scott Gardner. Hi, Scott Gardner. Hi, Scott Hello. Gardner. Hey. 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 And then there's the rest of us. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the there's other people that we don't really care about. Introduce yourselves, I'm, damn I'm it. I'm Chris Honeywell. I'm an intern here. Uh, <laughs> I get Mr. Gardner's coffee and porn magazines. And you're late with the newest one. I know. Well, look, look guys with big guns just as it didn't show up at the uh, newsstand like it usually does. Damn it, you late again? <laughs> and I'm Michael Bailey. Suddenly feeling like I'm on an episode of Tales of the JSA because usually <laughs> one of you guys here introduces everybody, but Scott threw me off. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> Scott does that just to be a bastard. And Scott's now starting to talk about himself in the third person, like Little Richard or or, uh, or uh, Bob Dole or Bob Dole. Yeah, it's pretty scary. Or the Hulk. Or the Hulk. Yeah, <laughs> that's more like it actually. Unitos, Scott Smash, Scott Sleepy. <laughs> Oh, let's see. Where do we want to go? Well, I had something I was going to throw out there, but as it will completely change the mood, I, I will wait to uh, throw that little nugget out there. Instead, let's go with uh, with a segment that I've been told is just far, far too negative. So we're going to change it up a little bit after this particular go around, but we're already committed to it at this point. So we're going to go with... Uh, Five stories or mini-series of a comparable length or storylines of a comparable length that you like better than Frank Miller's Dark Knight Returns. So, uh, Michael Bailey, run with it. Uh, number five, Shazam! A New Beginning by Roy Thomas and Tom Mandrake. Yeah. God, that is an awesome 
Good one. Good one. We need to cover that because we. I remember we yeah. talked about. I think it was the first episode we brought you in for comics. Yeah, that's the, the one I read. In, that's the one I yeah, read of Scotty's, right? No, 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 it's not. No, you read Power of Shazam and the other one by that guy that wrote that thing right. with that person. Yes. <laughs> you mean the Shazam and the Monster Society? That was yes. it. Oh, you're awesome, dude. That was it. That was totally okay. it. This uh, is a different, Chris, that we, that we mentioned at the same time. Oh, okay. Have, I think you'll really know. like the art in this, Chris, because it's Tom Mandrake, and it's Mandrake. really freaking cool. It's just a neat little... It's It's... It's going to sound like an insult. It's an 80s revision of Captain Marvel that really works. That that's not a that's not a slam. That's not it's it's a little darker, but it's not grim and gritty. Right. It's actually a really cool right. story. It was. Um, on top of that, I want to send a special shout out to Alan Leach Jr., who was selling some stuff on eBay recently. Uh, that Scott and I mentioned on various things that we work on, mm-hmm. and uh, I won the Star Wars. Tablet like treasury sized editions. One and I two. was looking at those. Yeah, the first one's a Whitman reprint, but I don't care because it's cool. Yeah. I won that and like the GI Joe one, but he threw in the Star Wars number two and speaking of Captain Marvel, a little foam core cutout of looking like from Power of Shazam, uh, Captain Marvel that I can hang on my wall. So oh, awesome! So thanks, you have the treasury GI Joe now, huh? Yeah. Wow, cool. Yeah. We were just talking about that that a little while ago, too. Yeah. Number four, even though it's not a comparable length, I'm going to throw it in there anyways. The Captain America number 332 to 350, where Steve Rogers steps down. Oh, yeah. And John Walker. It's about to get into a trade paperback, folks. So pick it up. It's called Captain America, the Captain in trade form. Just a really good, kind of like a precursor to Nightfall, I would say. Of showing why so. a certain person has to be the hero they are. That's enough. It's time for Gotham to get the hero it needs. Not the hero it thinks it deserves, but the hero that it thinks that we think it needs to deserve. Because it's time to deserve a, a hero and things for Gotham. Dark Knight. Uh, Number three, Legends, the DC crossover. Uh, Yeah. Plotted by Len Wein, written uh, with dialogue by John Ostrander and artwork by John Byrne and Carl Kessel. Kind of a sequel to Crisis, but it has nothing to do with Crisis. It's just another big crossover that actually turned out to be pretty freaking cool. Where Darkseid comes, uh, comes to Earth to cause a ruckus and mess with the legends uh, so he can take over. And you have the Phantom Stranger doing exactly what the Phantom Stranger always does sitting around talking and not doing a goddamn thing. God, I freaking hate the Phantom Stranger. I really do. Number two was a tough one because there's a bunch of like short run stories that, that, I, that I really, really like. But I am actually going to say, number two, The Death of Gene DeWolf from Spectacular Spider-Man that Peter David wrote. Yeah. With art by Rick uh, Rich Buckler uh, in some of it, too. So just mm-hmm. a good kind of gritty Spider-Man story. It was when Spectacular Spider-Man was supposed to be the dark and gritty kind of Hill Street Blues type book. 
So that's what Peter David wrote, and right. it begins with the death of a, of the, at that time a pretty big Spider-Man supporting character, and the opening few pages will just punch you in the gut, just because he goes to all the trouble of explaining why this character is so great, and she's dead. And it's him trying to figure out who killed her. And this indirectly leads into Venom, by the way, because it involves the Sin Eater storyline uh, with Eddie Brock, and that was his fall from grace. Ooh, I need a Sin Eater. They are actually pu- <laughs> they are actually putting it out in a premiere hardcover with the sequel that came out like a year or so later, a three-issue storyline also written by Peter David that was kind of the follow-up to the Sin Eater storyline. So if you have not read it, again, uh, when that hardcover comes out, I really recommend it. I probably will pick it up because they're going to do some recoloring and all that. And usually it looks a lot better in collected edition. And number one, this will come as to no surprise to anybody, Man of Steel. John Burns, Man of Steel. I will want to read more than Dark Knight Returns any day of the week and twice on Sunday. Amen. Literally just... Uh, they came out the same year, so they're contemporaries, and uh, both had Superman in it, uh, and both had Batman in it at one point, except in the Man of Steel one, uh, Superman wasn't a tool right. uh, <laughs> like he is in Dark Knight Returns, right. and that just bothers the piss out of me, his, his, the way the, Frank the, Miller the plays Superman him. would be a tool, like a tool of the government. Yeah, that's yeah. what, that's what pissed it, me off. I was like, really? They re- really, Superman has become like a... A cynical political player? Come on. Yeah, and it's it just... I understand where he was going with it. I just completely disagree that that's what Superman would do. Frankly, I, I'm kind of I'm, I'm kind of a kingdom come slash whatever like future storyline. After Lois dies, Superman's leaving Earth. He just is. He's, he's going to take off. <laughs> so... And I don't think Lois was around much in the Dark Knight universe. Well, she he was. She was because of the sequel, which sucked like as i always say so much that it had its own event horizon but yeah those are those are my five stories awesome i threw a little something out on facebook real quick just before we got started um soliciting you know other folks to throw things out there and so far there's only been one response but it was by steve j rogers and he said the same thing man of steel so cool what do you got chris well you know, since we're going for like sort of reinvention stuff, I tried to stick somewhat in the same time period. The first two I have are are both other Frank Miller comics. One isn't as much of a revisionist story as it is just sort of another. I think it was a six issue comic, but I read it as a trade, which was uh, Martha Washington Goes to War, which I think is like what like one of Frank Miller's great things before he started sucking that just sort of <laughs> you know like he wrote that with dave gibbons right yeah dave gibbons did the art in it and okay. it's very prescient like it's a lot of the stuff in it has yet to come true but you could still see it coming true except for like the giant mechanical tj big boys that that, <laughs> that roams the land destroying rainforests and uh the other frank miller one is uh wolverine miniseries which uh Eh, I I guess it was a reinvention of Wolverine, or it was just a more of a shading, darker shading of Wolverine. Alan Moore's Swamp Thing reinvention, like the first six issues that Alan Moore did, mm-hmm. I think. You know, they they were like 
that that is my favorite reinvention because it was like a reinvention for keeps. It was like a real reinvention. Like it didn't. It wasn't like we'll make everything disappear and start from scratch. Although it did, but it did it within still the same continuity. It was just like everything the Swamp Thing knew about him himself was wrong. So it still, you know, it didn't have to. You didn't have to trash years of stuff before it. You could still draw from that, and I thought that was was brilliant. Um, the uh, another one, number I guess this is my fourth one would be, um, and I guess I'm going to cheat because it's both miniseries, but the Hercules miniseries. That was 80s. one of my backups, actually. Yeah, really? I just Good pulled choice. those out to read. Uh, I haven't read them. I've had them for years. I haven't read them in years and years and years, but they're so great. The first one is pure humor. It just takes Hercules and puts him in a sort of humorous situation with a with a foil, robot foil, who sort of, you know, puts it on his nose all the time. The second one gets a bit dark at the end because, uh, you know, it, it has a death battle at the end of it. But both of them were, were great, and they, you know, they... they it it was it was just fun. It was like yeah, you had Hercules on a sort of light road. It was like a Bing Crosby road movie almost, you know, <laughs> with with a little Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy thrown in, and uh, just way you know nothing like the Dark Knight, but that that's fine. It's I I like the lightheartedness of it as opposed to you know especially during that time period when everything was going dark. You know, this was something that like took it less seriously there was one it was a five issue miniseries back in 2005 simply called hercules and uh i'm gonna find some copies of that and send it to you i would love for you to read that it's interesting it's i liked it (laughs) but it's i think it was intended to sort of pick up and have the feel of the the old bob layton miniseries the one you're talking about but what's interesting about it is that it's done kind of like like Hercules is kind of looked at like a buff, as a buffoon. Right. And so he ha- he's set upon it, it, I'm trying to remember the whole setup. I think he's part of like a like a TV reality series or something, oh, you know, like God. Survivor or something yeah. and they set him on 12 new tasks of Hercules, but the last one is a punch in the gut because up to that point He's been very buffoonish. It's been very lighthearted, very almost comedic, uh-huh. but it's more that it's making fun of him. But then you get to the last task. And I don't know if you know anything about, you know, oh, mythology. Is this the re- yeah, was this, is this the revelation of what Hercules did? What he did, yes. Oh, yeah. man. It was wicked. And, uh, yeah, I really want you to read that, Chris, so we can talk about it on the show. As a matter of fact, if, if nobody's got something lined up for next time's uh, Get Chris to Read a Goddamn Superhero Comic, I nominate that. Well, well, maybe we'll do that one next, but I just, yeah, I just, um, I did actually get a suggestion for uh, oh, okay. next month's. Well, we'll keep that one in the queue then because, yeah, uh, yeah for I'd sure. Li- that like sounds very that. interesting. And that, yeah. that'll give me an excuse to read the original two miniseries too. Yeah. One of my, okay. Yeah. And uh, my number five is I Can't Tell because it's going to be I don't want to give away what my Make Chris Read a Goddamn Superhero comic <laughs> is this month. Oh, but okay. I liked it better than The Dark Knight. Wow. Okay. You know, going on that Hercules thing, that might be a, a good top five 
for next month is top five. Even if we choose the same ones, what order they are in, uh, Marvel Limited series from the 80s. That's a good one. I'm going to write that down. I'm going to write that down because I actually have one for for next time, but I'm going to write that okay. down. That's a that's a great one. Yeah. I can there's already ones bouncing around my head on that one already. <laughs> All right. Uh my top 5 in reverse order here. Um I tried to pick ones of I I picked strictly four issue minis and I tried to pick ones that one way or another I thought had a similar tone or something to Dark Knight. Um number 5, Omac by John Byrne. I freaking loved that when it came out. Is that a good ooh or a bad? That's ooh? a good. Ooh. Usually, when I'm I go familiar. ooh, that that it's good. It uh, took that took what I always considered to be a pretty lame ass character, completely reinvented him at a time <laughs> when John Byrne could still do a great reinvention of a character. Took him in a whole new direction, and it was badass. Plus. Burns' art seldom looked better than it did in that. It was just fantastic. Um, really, really good read, and I highly, highly recommend it. Um, number four, the original four-issue Nathaniel Dusk miniseries by Don McGregor. Is it Don Gregor or McGregor? I think it's McGregor. And uh, Gene Colan. And wow. I haven't read it in a long, long time, so I'm hoping it still holds up to you know the awesome memories I had of it, but that was great. It was just a total uh, noir piece set in the 30s of this just hard-boiled uh, private investigator. And the just the shit gets kicked out of him like constantly through that series, but he just won't give up. He's like the dogged detective, and it was just a really, really good read. Highly recommend that Beautiful one. Beautiful art. I th- was it yeah. over pencils? Gene it was penciled and never inked. Yeah. yeah, and then the 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 coloring was done in almost like a watercolor. Watercolor. Yeah. Beautiful, gorgeous, gorgeous uh, Gene Colan stuff. Number three, and I think uh, Michael agree with me on this one: Superman, Batman Generations. Mm-hmm. This this my yeah. favorite Superman story of, of you know since Dar- uh, since Man of Steel I mean it was just I think it nailed both of those characters and the cool thing about it was uh, it, it's a it's a what if book basically it's what if the Superman and Batman that were introduced you know in their each of their respective first appearances was the same Superman and Batman we always got. You know, they just aged naturally and and grew old right from when they were introduced in the late 30s. And each decade, you know, each book follows a different decade, and each decade has the feel of the comics that were written in that era. And it was just fantastic. It's such a good, good read, and I really enjoyed the hell out of that. And that's another one I want to talk about on the show at some point. Um, Number two... This one to me is everything Dark Knight should have been. And while I do enjoy Dark Knight Returns, I'm not bashing on it. It just, it falls short for me in a lot of ways, whereas this one doesn't. This one took a character, brought him back after a long hiatus, dusted him off, and made him incredibly badass. And that was uh, Howard Chaikin's The Shadow, or sometimes called The Shadow Returns. That was wicked. Great, great series. And uh, the the cliffhanger ending to the first issue was just one of the great cliffhanger endings. It was like, 
holy shit, he's back, and it was just fantastic. And I know that Dark Knight number one ends much the same way, but I still think the the, the ending to Shadow number one was it, it packed a bigger punch for me. It was great. Did you ever read his Blackhawk prestige format yeah. series? Yeah, I did. That I was good, too. Yeah, it was good. I liked that a lot. I, I liked uh, older uh, Howard Chaikin stuff. He, he did do a lot of good stuff back then. And uh, number one... Um, it's not very similar story-wise, but it is dark, and, and, and in certain respects, I think darker than Dark Knight Returns, and that would be the Phantom Zone four-issue miniseries. Oh, why does that was good? That? Yeah, I mean, just so, so dark and evil in parts of that, the death and destruction and things that happen in that. At a time, pre-Dark Knight Returns, pre-Watchmen, where stuff like that just seemed that more edgy and dark and sinister because everything else coming out at that time was light and fluffy. Great book. And that's my uh, top five. Now, as I said at the, the beginning of this segment, I, I've, we've gotten some feedback, and, it, and certain people are telling me that we're, we're, I'm just too negative, that everything's got to be a comparison. What do you like better than this, and what's better than that? So we're going to change it up for next time around. And next time, I want to go with, uh, how would you change five dark characters, dark storylines, dark endings? Take, take your darkest thing, whether it's Dark Knight Returns or The Punisher or whatever and you know how would you change it up you know dark knight returns put more puppies in it you know (laughs) (laughs) just something how would would we brighten up these dark stories exactly okay exactly excellent i think one of them is going to be the black kiss i think i'll do the black kiss (laughs) i'll figure out a happy ending for that Speaking of Howard Chaykin, you're Howard Chaykin. Sex out of it? I mean, what? <laughs> no, I, I mean that was, uh, yeah, no, the, that that was the reason I was reading that. <laughs> Halfway through it, Rainbow Bright shows up. Exactly. Yeah. It gets naked. Gets naked. Ah, let's see. Before we get into anything else, um, if you go onto uh, Facebook, look at my Facebook profile. I put up a picture. Of a uh, poster I snapped a I picture saw of that. the comic shop the other day. Coming in April this year, the perfect birthday present for me. A new Planet of the Apes. It looks. It, it says ongoing, right? It says ongoing yeah. story yeah. based on mo- classic movie continuity. Yes. I am so excited about this. I had no idea. I'm just not keeping up with well, there's, comics. There's you know, been these Planet days. of the Apes comics. I mean, there were the Marvel ones obviously but then there were a couple of those indie publishers who did planet of the apes comics that were terrible mm-hmm. it depends on which ones you're talking about because that series from adventure comics from a few years back they were hit and miss but m- they were more hit than miss i actually liked that a lot and i'm still hunting a few issues to complete that series i don't know if that's the one you're talking Amy, about the or- singer in my band and i can't remember i don't know if it was adventure gave me one or it was two issues that she found at some, you know, whenever she goes anywhere, she sees comics for 25 cents. She just buys, like, the cheesiest ones and brings them back for, you know, to give. And two of them were these Planet of the Apes comics, and they were set in the gangster, you know, the the okay, gangster yeah. era of, of ape development. And so they were all in, zoot, you know, in gangster pinstripe suits with 
with you know Tommy guns and stuff like that and car and the cars. It was like a piece of the action with apes. It was Ape City, yeah. yeah Ape City, yeah. that's exactly what it yeah. was. Yeah. Yeah, that that terrible. actually is part of the uh the adventure comic stuff that, that they were putting out for apes. Yeah, some of it like I say, some of it was good and some of it was bad, but uh there was one that I know that you would really like. It was set toward the end of the series, if I remember right. It was one of the, the last issues, and it was a prequel to Conquest of the Planet of the Apes, a movie that I do not like. Right. But they made it really interesting. It, it was a very, very good story. So there, there is some really good stuff in there. It's just it was a di- it was a slightly different feel. Even though it was supposed to be, you know, in the movie continuity and all, they they kind of ran in a in a different direction, and the apes were much more um, civilized and and refined. They weren't quite as uh, primitive and ap primitive and yeah, exactly, yeah. But uh, yeah, it was some good stuff. But I'm I'm excited about this. You know, more apes, yeah. more classic apes too. I, it's I, not that Tim Burton bullshit. It had been a long time since I've been to my regular comic shop, and I dropped thirty bucks last time I was there. I couldn't believe it. <laughs> I got all. I got caught up on all the Walking Dead weeklies. I got. I bought the first three issues of the Let Me In comics. The there's sort of a dark horse lead up to the Let Me In movie that was. Oh okay. And. Uh, what else did I get? I got the new Walking Dead. I got the new Sweet Tooth. And the last issue that I needed for my con ruling in hell. So I got a lot of comics. <laughs> I'm scared comic. to go to my LCS because I haven't been there in so long. Have and you been there I, since I, I was there to visit you? Because you were no, avoiding it when I was down there. No, oh I my haven't. God. I'm so scared it's just, to death. Well, you see, you're, yeah, but now you're in that shame spiral where they're just going to keep piling up and piling up and, you know. Unless it's the type of shop that stops pulling up. Well, see, that's what I'm thinking is they they have not called or written or texted me or anything. So I'm kind of feeling, uh, you know, that maybe they've just kind of written me off or something. I I really have no idea. But if they are continuing to pull stuff, it's like, oh, shit, how am I ever going to pay for that? Because I know that there's at least two new Star Wars omnibuses out. And I'm like... (laughs) Ah, yeah, those know, things so. are cheap. Yeah. <laughs> no, they're not. No, they're not. So yeah, I'm. I'm not sure how I'm gonna manage that spectacular feat. But uh, and I I'm got actually, a comic yeah. in the mail, Scott. You did? Yep. That that um, that Star Trek comic <laughs> that was missing in our CBRs. Yep. I got it for like a buck, and it got it literally it got mailed here, and like within two days, it was in my mail here. So I yeah. love that. Yeah. I love when they get to you faster than you think uh, than you think they are. Oh, I've had some uh, roommates some like you got eat. mail, and I'm like, I really I'm not <laughs> expecting any mail for another week or so. <laughs> You've had uh, some good luck with what was it, eBay or something. Oh, recently. I continue to have great luck with eBay. Um, there is an omnibus out right now uh, that's seventy five dollars cover price. That is all of the Jack Kirby stuff from the 70s. Uh, Captain America, uh, when he came back to Captain America, and you had that like famous cover where Captain America's there, and it has Mad Bomb. Mad Bomb, yeah. And that reprints like 193 to 214 and two annuals, and Captain America's Bicentennial Battles, which was a Marvel Treasury special. 
Well, somebody had, except for the Captain America's Bicentennial Battles, all of those issues in a lot. And I won that for $33. So I figure I made out good on that, mainly because I didn't have to pay $75 for the... Omnibus. uh, Omnibus. But I was upset because I'm like, man, it doesn't have the Bicentennial Battles. You know, I'm not going to get to read that. And I was looking through my stuff the other day, and I already had it. So... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's sitting right next to me right now. Um, I've been on kind of a Captain America kick lately because I'm prepping something for my, one of my other podcast views from the Long Box. July is going to be a huge month for Captain America uh, on views from the Long Box, getting uh, ready for the movie. And hey, it's July, July 4th, Captain America. Yep, yep. You know, it, 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 it all goes together. So I've seen. <laughs> My wife goes, sure it does. Um, <laughs> so I got, for 20 bucks 50 back issues of Captain America, uh, some of which I had, but some that I didn't have. Uh, so that was a nice little find. 50, buck, 50 comics for 20 bucks. you can't beat that at all. What are you going to do with your doubles? Um, I don't know yet. Do you need send issues me, of Cap? Send me a list, yeah, because okay. uh, yeah, I'm always looking to fill holes in, well, in, in any collection, but especially Captain America, because I actually do have a pretty good Captain America run, but I think I have holes in that era that you're talking about. Scott Gardner, hole filler. <laughs> I was about to say, you like filling holes. <laughs> I do. Um, but I have also decided to kind of get back into reading new Cap, but I don't feel like buying, like, you know, 12 issues worth of back issues. So I've decided for the first time I'm going to follow a book in trade. Uh, but I wanted to have, like, the other trades, even of the books I already had, because I'm kind of, you know, retentive like that on my shelf. You know, if something starts with volume eight and that's the first one you have, it just looks bad. So I managed to snag four premier Marvel premier hardcovers that are usually 20 bucks a piece. Four of those for 40 bucks, 10 bucks a piece. It was great. And they look really nice. Have you ever seen the Marvel Premiere hardcovers? I don't think so. They're like six issues of a series, but they're in this like small little hardcover, and they look really nice, and they usually have like extras and stuff. I will recommend Captain America, the, the current stuff, or at least the stuff from the last couple of years. I bought a kit off of eBay around Christmas time for 15 bucks. I got the first two trades from Brubaker's run and read the first one this week. If you like Captain America as kind of like a Tom Clancy type hero, mm-hmm. where he's running around kicking ass and fighting bad guys who are up to who are up to like terrorists and stuff, but don't like it annoying like the Marvel Knights series. I don't know if you guys ever read that either. I actually liked Marvel Knights. Yeah, yeah, I, I did read that. I wasn't a big fan of that first storyline. Um, where he was like, ah, we shouldn't have bombed Dresden, so screw you. Um, <laughs> but it was uh, Captain America Winter Soldier Volume 1, and it's just, the artwork is fantastic. It's got great action sequences. My dog really likes it. <laughs> um, and uh, it has a lot of flashbacks to World War II. You get an invader's appearance. Uh, in one issue, but all the flashbacks are drawn by a different artist. So it's it's kind of an interesting juxtaposition because it's like for for the for the present stuff, it's Steve Epting, but for the stuff in the past, it's a artist by the name of Michael Lark, who 
who I have always liked his work. I don't, uh, he worked on Gotham Central. Now, you're um, talking about the early issues of the current series, yes, right? Yes, yes, I am. Yeah, yeah, I like that series. I read it up until the the death issue, and then just kind of slowly petered out on that, just because I, I, you know, I stopped reading all of Marvel about that time, so you know, it wasn't anything. Do you have those book, issues but... afterwards? No, no, I don't think so. I'll probably send them to you. It was a good series, though. You know, from what I was reading of it. But yeah, it's 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 been a kind of a Captain America bonanza for me. Because I want to get a jump on this stuff because I really have big plans for July and uh, I really want to do a Captain America month right. So, looking forward to that. Keen. And don't we shirk got on the America, man. <laughs> Just especially during the most patriotic of all patriotic months. Absolutely. Absolutely. I hope the movie comes off that way, too. You know what I mean? I hope it really plays that angle up. And I'm, I'm worried that it may not, but me, I could, I could actually go for the the whole chest thumping America rules. Type oh, I heard, of he, I heard he chains himself to a tree because they're they're cutting down this forest. <laughs> <laughs> they, they're like he, coming at him with chainsaws, and he's holding it off with the shield. I hear his shield's green. That's yeah. just what I heard. Don't start with uh, the United <laughs> Nations logo on it. With what? The United Nations logo. <laughs> yeah, exactly. On it. Oh, God, Captain United Nations. There is an F on his forehead in this one. It does stand for France. <laughs> Actually, there's, a, there's an amusing bit about that um, in the Captain America volume that I just read where Captain America defends the people of France, saying, you know, he goes, I know they call them cowards, but that was the government. The people of France fought tooth and nail the entire time. Yeah, so, I remember. I, you I can always say that, that about any country, I would think. You know, pretty much, except for France. <laughs> Damn. And we just lost our French contingent. Good going, Scott. <laughs> they just went bloop. Merde. <laughs> they called merde on that. The lords. Oh. Well, I'm sorry, but I gotta fit this in somewhere. I know this is gonna kind of turn the turn the tone a little bit, but I, I feel like we we really need to to make mention of this. Uh-oh. Shortly after last um, Comics Monthly wrapped up, and and we didn't have time to to address it at that time, uh, the news came out that uh, we lost Dwayne McDuffie mm-hmm. uh, in the comics arena, and uh, so I just wanted to uh, acknowledge that passing and. Uh, you know, I was very saddened by that. I, I respected his work very much. Uh, I, I mostly knew him from his work on, uh, you know, the the DCAU. But uh, hell of a talent, and uh, he was young. What was he? Forty eight, I think it yeah, said. Yeah, he was in his. He, no, he was in his early forties. Um, oh, so he's our age. Yeah, exactly. And uh, which is kind of weird because there there have been in the past couple of months a couple different people. One here in the local Atlanta area, Royal Marshall who was the uh, sidekick to a talk show host named Neil Bortz. Oh, yeah. Uh, up and drop dead like that. Jeez. And it seems to be all these, like, black men in their early 40s just suddenly dying, and the conspiracy theorist in me is going, there's a connection here. Um, <laughs> where there really isn't. But Dwayne McDuffie, uh, in addition to his DCAU work, he worked on the Milestone books... Mm-hmm. Uh, he tried like hell to get Justice League of America going a couple years ago, and they hampered him at every freaking turn. Right. Um, but he also wrote Damage Control, 
which was a Marvel limited series about the people that clean up after superheroes. They're like contractors that clean up after major superhero battles. And it was funny as hell. Oh, okay, I know the yeah, all right. I know the one you're talking about. I did not know that he wrote that. There was a Punisher guest appearance where the Punisher thinks that one of the main muckety-muck women who works there is up to no good, so he tracks her to the apartment of this kind of scummy guy, and he breaks in and he tells his origin. He's like, well, you know, my, my family was killed right in front of me and blah, blah, blah. And the guy goes, something like that happened to me once. I had a dog that I really loved, and I loved it everywhere, and we went everywhere together. And then one day it got sick, and I had to take it to the vet. But then everything was okay, and the dog was fine. <laughs> it's just... And then they look at him, and he's like, okay, that has nothing to do with what you were talking about. It was just... <laughs> Just a great comedic beat. And he was like that. He could write comedy. He could write action. He was smart as hell. And just wrote some of the better episodes of Justice League Unlimited. Uh, he wrote Crisis on Two Earths, the mo- the animated film. Uh, oh, did I he? I did not yeah. know that. Yeah, I, I loved that movie. I haven't watched it yet, but uh, he wrote the All-Star Superman movie. So... It was like three days after the premiere of that that he passed away. But did he have a heart attack or something? I think that's what it was. Yeah, I really don't know. I I read something that he he went in for some sort of surgery or something and and died while he was there. But that you know again, and that's not that's me not really knowing much about the the situation. But yeah, Gates. Just a just a shame. He was he was a hell of a you know hell of a, a writer. I thought, and mm-hmm. you know by all accounts a really nice guy too. So it's it was really a shame. But like I say, I, I thought that we should uh, you know mention that. Yeah, thanks, Debbie Downer. <laughs> well, you know, there's there's no pleasant way to talk yeah. about these things, but you know, oh, like we I could say. have some like happy music in the background. <laughs> yes, because that would be totally appropriate. <laughs> <laughs> You guys are never inappropriate. <laughs> All right, so what do we got next? Um, make Chris read a goddamn superhero book. <gasps> That's right. Oh, yeah. I forgot. Time for me to do my report. Oh, no. Get Chris to read a goddamn superhero comic. 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 Okay. <laughs> Hang on a second. Somebody's knocking at my door. Yeah. Oh, okay. I thought that was part of it. I did too. No, seriously, Scott, I'll send you those books. Awesome. You know, I really got to stop talking shit about you because you're all right sometimes. 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 All right. I've got my book report already. Oh, no. All right. So, um,. This month, for Get Chris to Read a Superhero Comic, I read the story, Craven's Last Hunt. Mike and Scott tricked me and made me read six superhero comics this time. (laughs) Okay, everyone knows Craven the Hunter is a crazy supervillain, but now it has gotten ridiculous. Now he wants to get Spider-Man, but he is psyching himself up for it by taking weird drugs and playing Fear Factor with a room full of spiders. Seriously, Craven is getting very unstable in his old age. 
Well, Craven gets inside Spider-Man's head and lures him out to fight. Before you know it, Craven shoots Spider-Man with a dart and then shoots him with a gun. He buries Spider-Man and starts getting even more crazy, if you can believe that. Now he starts to dress up like Spider-Man and even does his job of getting bad guys. But he beats the bad guys too much because he is crazy. You know he is crazy because he just won't stop talking to himself. Then he goes and beats and captures Vermin, a half-rat man who is like Gollum from Lord of the Rings, who eats people and can control rats. Now Spider-Man is not dead after all. He was just in a coma or something, and he digs his way out, and boy is he pissed. He goes to beat up Kraven, but Kraven won't fight. He just wants to get all creepy with Spider-Man and talk and stuff. He even gets a little weird touchy-touchy, which is very, very weird. Then he sicks Vermin on Spider-Man, but now Spider-Man feels sorry for Vermin, and then Vermin escapes. Um, Craven tells Spider-Man to go get Vermin, and don't worry, Craven is retired now from being a bad guy. Spider-Man goes and captures the Vermin, and says Reed Richards will fix him, and meanwhile, Craven just pulls a Kurt Cobain. He has beaten all his foes, so he eats a bullet, but not before writing a full confession which clears the real Spider-Man. Spider-Man goes to live happily ever after with his hot, redhead wife until they screw all that up 20 years down the line. <laughs> the end. Yay! That's freaking amazing. <laughs> I, love the, I love these comics. This is awesome. Totally something that was under my... I, never, I remember sort of when it came out, but I never read it. I should have read it. I would have loved it then. And yeah, I... I remember Scott. You had an, was your issue with the writing or with the art in it? You had an issue with one of the two, and I couldn't. Uh, definitely not with the art, because the only two things that because I got to be honest, I don't hate it or anything. I just don't understand the big deal with that book. It, I, I just I just don't think it's very good. But the two things I really, really do love about it is, for one, Mike Zack can do no wrong in my book. Mike Zack, plus Bob McCloud, they're both just fantastic. I love their art, so I have absolutely zero problem with the art. The other thing that I absolutely love about that book is one of the lamest-ass villains that has ever existed blows his fucking brains out, and that's great, (laughs) because I think more lame-ass villains should do that. So, But other than that, I just, I just don't think it's all that hot. I just, I've never really dug it that much, and I did reread it for for this I, segment. I, I think it had there were a couple elements of it I thought that were a little like definitely um, owed a bit to some Frank Miller Daredevil, like where um, when Spider Man was in his coma, in uh, in the in the when he was buried, and he was just sort of floating in white space, you know, and. Right. And trying to decide whether he was alive or dead or whether he wanted to forget about being alive or not. And it reminded me a lot of a Daredevil issue where he lost his he lost his powers. So he was, you know, really blind. And, you know, a good chunk of it was him just sort of floating in white space like that. It reminded me a bit of that. But um this and, and and I just thought of this today. This was the first Spider-Man story I read with him in that black costume. That's how that's how out of touch I am with Spider-Man. Literally just before he got the black outfit, I was done I, and I really haven't read much of any of it after that none of the McFarlane, none of 
none of all the none of the modern rapies, Spider-Man and and all that <laughs> stuff. So right. Um you know, so I didn't really know what was going on, but it did a good, you know, I forget that the comics in those days were still was, were meant to be just sort of picked up and, you know, if even if you don't know what's going on, you can sort of get on board. And I, I really, I thought it was a great meditation on Craven's insanity. I think they did a really realistic job of portraying mental illness, you know, of him right. just being... Or, or you know, maybe he he's been always been a little nuts, but now that he he's getting old, he's seriously like crossed a line, and and it's not just a sort of um um you know I am crazy now, you know, or I'm psycho, you know, and I'm gonna try to kill everybody. It was, you know. I mean, at the end where he's just sort of like, you know, I kind of like the Spider-Man. He's a nice guy, and he's sort of like trying to touch him on the top of the head and stuff, and Spider-Man's just like, yo, what's going on? You know, you're acting kind of weird and inappropriate. I, that's more like real mental illness than, you know, you know, now Spider-Man, I'll get my revenge. And um, I, I thought the sub, I thought the Vermin character in it was... Eh, he was okay, you know. He was a little Gollum-like. I like the fact that he was a total um, cannibal, and I love the scene where he tackles the the female cop on top of her cop car, gives her a big lick across the face. He's just like, "Oh, you smell nice," or whatever, you know. I like you, and then like goes off, and she's just like <laughs> freaked out. That was a great, you know. It's uh. It's it's one of those it's one of those stories that they were starting to write that you know that we've been talking about a lot lately of you know where where they they somebody said all right let's take some let's take some elements of reality and throw it in here let's do this as if Craven was really mentally ill and was like knows that he's not going to be able to be the hunter much longer and he's trying to shore up all his you know, crazy wishes before he he eats his bullet. You know, so yeah, I I enjoyed. It. I I like. I was gonna read like a couple of the comics and then come back and read them all later. And I read all six like right in a row. And just, it was just like drawn all the way through it. Um, I love the the you know through the issues the continuing theme of the spiders sort of gathering on. Um. Spider-Man's grave. I think there was a bit of Alan Moore in there too, especially with Craven's mixture of herbs and you know his Kentucky Fried. I was just going to say seven herbs and spices. Magic (laughs) blend of herbs and spices. But like, but I understood what was going on there. He He was taking. If he he had deep fried Spider-Man in that story and then served him in a bucket, I would have loved that story. (laughs) I'm just saying. With a side of mashed potatoes and gravy, but I mean, I I, I don't know. Maybe, and macaroni and cheese. Maybe it's yes. all, it's all my experience with psychedelic drugs. But I understood what was going on. He was getting all psychedelic out and using that to, you know, to to get in touch with Spider Man on some you know mystical level. So that's how how he was able to draw him out and draw out Vermin and and well, Damateus in general is that type of writer he he is a writer that more more often than not especially in his marvel work will delve deeply into the psychology of the character uh-huh. and what makes them tick now usually it involves child abuse but you know every writer has their little thing but with craven i think he took a character 
that to me was always kind of the Craven was silly. Yeah, I'm sorry with his lion face co- costume and <laughs> yeah, stuff with, and all that. The f- he was he was a goofy character, but he took him and he gave him a nobility. Um, so at the end, when he kills himself, you've gone on this journey with this character to the point where you give a shit. Yeah, right, right. You know, no, I don't. <laughs> no, I don't. That's exactly it. No, I couldn't wait for him to pull the trigger. <laughs> nice, Scott. <laughs> well, from now on, when Michael Bailey says you, he means everybody in, except for everybody Scott Everybody else. Yeah, right. yeah. <laughs> yeah, I get that. Well, that was, yeah, in general, that's how I, how I roll anyways. So. <laughs> Well, Scott's going to hate this, but okay. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but he's like Mikey. He hates everything. I do not. He likes it. Hey, Scotty. You're the first person to do it right, by the way, Chris. Because everyone's like, well, Mikey likes everything. And I'm like, watch the damn commercial. He doesn't (laughs) like anything. He doesn't like anything. Which is why when he likes something, everyone's like, oh, my God. Look at this stuff. Some cereal is supposed to be good for you. I'm not going to try it. Let's get Mikey. Yeah. He won't need it. He hates everything. He likes it. Hey, Mikey. Regular, cinnamon, and raisin life. Nutritious, delicious. <laughs> if you were named Mike, you would understand my pain. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, do, did people used to sing? I don't know. Maybe you might be a little too young. My uh, my other friend Mike would always get the song "Windmills of Windmills of My Mind" sung to him. No, my but... name is Michael. I have a nickel. <laughs> no, no. I remember when I was really little. It was Michael, Michael, motorcycle. Turn on the key and watch him pee. Ooh, <laughs> ooh. My sister and her friends used to say, "Chris, Chris, give me a kiss. Go to the toilet and take a piss." Your sisters were in, and her friends were in some really weird shit, apparently. Yeah, my sister, yeah. <laughs> Give me a kiss and then go urinate and let me watch. Well, you know, I think they were limited as far as what they could think of to rhyme. You know, the rhyming dictionary wasn't too... Uh... Was it too too good too for you good guys. there? And, and they had to throw they ha, you know something so it has to go into something with a swear word in it, and so piss is just the the obvious one. <laughs> It's the only one I can think of. Yeah, so, yeah. It was cheap. I, I, yeah. (laughs) It's like all childhood taunts, you know. They're, 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 they're always, you know, stupid as hell, but, you know, I mean, I had a friend, I had a friend, George, and I don't know how many times I heard a teacher be like, Georgie Porgy, pudding and pie, ha, 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 ha. (laughs) <laughs> until he shot one. Yeah, I was just going to say, it's all fun and games until so he killed them all. Yeah, he was the kid who used to put the cat, bury the cats up to the neck and then run over with the lawnmower. You know? so, so he didn't want to push anybody. That's not funny. Why am I laughing? <laughs> I love cats, too. I just and then one day he switched thing. to teachers. <laughs> well, there's always that one kid in school that everybody's like, don't you know he's the one who killed all those cats? It's the cat killer. See, I never. It actually wasn't. This kid ever... actually wasn't a cat killer. In case he's listening, he, you know, I'm just sort of <laughs> transposing something else on him for the sake of a good story. But George, See, if you're I'm... listening, I know you weren't a cat killer. I never distrust those kids. Those kids 
everyone thought was weird were probably really interesting and had a lot just going on in their life. It's the one sitting in the back that never talks. He's the one killing the freaking uh-huh. cats. <laughs> yeah, the one you never notice. You, you don't notice him until he's coming up behind you with the butcher knife. And then you're like, oh, of course, it was had to have been him. You never... <laughs> you're, you're done. Yeah. That's how it always is, isn't it, guys? <laughs> all right. Well, um, that's about all I got. So for, what, it, for, what is it for next time? Oh, for next time. Well, actually, I got a, um, a suggestion from Hope Mullinex, our own Hope Mullinex. Uh-oh. It's uh and it's a uh, uh two th- I think it's a 2010. It's either this year or I think it's last year, but just like like December 2000. Deadpool team up number 893. <laughs> There's been 893 issues of Deadpool team up. Uh, no, I don't think so. No. Is it Marvel it's team- part of the gag? For last couple of years, Deadpool has been the Punisher slash Ghost Rider slash Wolverine of the Marvel Universe where he has like 15 different titles and he appears and he guest appears and everywhere and for a while there there was like Deadpool and then Deadpool Family Deadpool Max, Deadpool Team Up Oh my god, does he even have a dog and everything now and stuff like Deadpool's dog Sparky He did have a dog and there was (laughs) Deadpool Girl and all that Liefeld actually worked on some of those well, this this one is a team up with him and Captain Britain. That's all I know about it. And I guess hmm. her, I I don't know if she really liked it or didn't like it, but she was just was like, I want your opinion on this, and it's like, well, how fortuitous that there's actually a segment that begs that <laughs> begs people to send me stuff. So I have a I have a copy of it now. I have not cracked it open yet. I'll probably crack it open closer to the time of when we're going to do the show. But uh, yeah, I'm very curious what you think about this because I was just giving it a quick uh, once over, and uh, I like Captain Britain a lot. Um, and the art is different, so yeah, I'm curious what uh, what you're gonna have to say about this one myself. All I know is the, the I looked at the cover of it, and it looked like it might be semi comedic. So that's oh yeah, yeah, he's It'll definitely a comedic character. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, so that's what we got for next time. <laughs> I say uh, we take a break. And come back with the shambling zombie stories. Sweet. You are cordially invited to attend a podcast that observes the unfolding events of history. Come with me and observe the birth and growth of a legend. From the pages of a 10-cent pulp comic book to the newspapers, radio program adventures, theatrical films, and more. Witness the dawn of the superhero. Superman. Available on iTunes and at goldenagesuperman.lipson.com. Every legend has a beginning.
The Walking Dead. All right, we are back with our latest editions of the Walking Dead comic, which is the latest editions in our continuous coverage, which brings us up to number 32. And to synopsize this particular episode, Mr. Michael Bailey. All righty, we got Walking Dead 32 with Robert Kirkman writing and Charlie Adler drawing, as usual. Uh, continue right where the last issue picked up, where Rick tells Rodriguez to let go of him, God damn it. Rodriguez quickly explains that they have to get out of there quick and that they have to go on foot because the few gassed-up vehicles that the town has are too well protected. Then Rick gets a surprise when it turns out that Rodriguez's secret helper is actually Glenn. Yay! Yay! Rick finds out that the governor, who according to Rodriguez has been slipping for quite some time now, at least on a mental level, didn't find out about the prison from Glenn. And after putting two and two together... Rick quickly realizes that it was his own prison jumpsuit that gave it away. (laughs) Meanwhile, the governor is pissed at what Michonne pulled at the quote-unquote fights and wants to kill her, but suddenly seems to have a psychotic break and a change of heart uh, and goes to sleep on whether or not he is going to kill her. As Rick and company are making their escape, Alice runs up to them and suggests that it would be a bang-up idea if she and the doctor came with them. Rick likes the sound of that, and after finding out where Michonne is, the plan is clear. Get the doctor, get Michonne, and get the fuck out of there. Rodriguez realizes that he has the best chance of clearing their way and knocks out Gabe, the guy guarding Michonne, and calls the all-clear. Michonne is... She's in a bad way. She gets to her feet, and they begin their escape. She stops them early because someone is nearby. Turns out it is the doctor who listens to their offer and just wants to get a few things before they leave. They are stopped by Miss Williams, who wants the doctor to check out, check on her son, who has been running a slight fever. And against his nature, he brushes her off and tells her to bring the boy by to, uh, later. They continue their run for freedom. Rodriguez convinces a sentry to give up his post, and they head to get the supplies Dr. Stevens wanted to get. Michonne says that she isn't going until she visits the governor and takes off. The others are a little put out by this, but Rick is quick to point out that they would just slow her down anyway. They head over another wall when suddenly Dr. Stevens is attacked by a zombie. Alice shoots the zombie, and Dr. Stevens tells Alice to get the supplies and use what he taught her. Rodriguez tells them that they have to get moving, though he's pretty shaken up by Stephen's death. Elsewhere, the governor is trying to get his daughter to eat a foot that is kind of fresh when Michonne busts through the door. The final page is the governor looking at her and saying, well, this should be interesting. Yeah, that should be interesting. (laughs) I remember reading that for the first time, and I went, oh, so by interesting, you mean she's going to fucking kill you. Okay. Yep. (laughs) Some people people are interested in very strange things. (laughs) Ah, what a a great issue. Mm -hmm. A lot happens. This is like, Mm -hmm. you know, Walking Dead, a lot of times, not a lot of – it'll be exciting – but not a lot will happen. You'll get some dialogue. You'll sort of catch up on all the characters. This one's moving. It's just things happening. Boom, boom. It's action from beginning to end. Right. I love it. And it just keeps going. There, there was one point before they ran into the girl with the, the sick child where 
I was like, oh, we're in the last couple pages of this comic, you know, and it, and it kept going because I thought because the amount of action for a Walking Dead issue had about hit that point. You know, I was like, OK, you know, it's about time for us to, to nod out because the, the requisite amount of story has been told. So yeah. it's almost like a bonus up issue, you know, to, to me. I really liked it. No, it's uh, for me. You know, jumping back into the series with this issue, uh, it's amazing everything that I retained from what happened before. Because this was this was one of those stories when I was going through these trades where it was just like, oh my god, this is like the most depressing thing ever. And then I got to around mm-hmm. issue fifty, and that bar got kind of reset. <laughs> got right. Um, <laughs> but um, I liked Rodriguez in this story. Uh, he like he. It's like he's the dude with the head on his shoulders in this town who knows it's yes. bad and needs to get the hell out. Um, at first, I thought when I first read it, and not so much now, but when I first read it, that Doctor Stevens was going to turn on them in just the way he was acting. Yeah, he was acting a little suspicious. Yeah, but his death it shouldn't have surprised me either time I read it. It should not have surprised me because they were at that point when you're in these type of stories where someone is going to get randomly killed, where it's just going to freaking just happen. Yeah, damn, you have right then and yeah. there. and he gets killed, and the dialogue as he's laying there. Let me get to that page because it's just it's yeah. just it, it just made me feel terrible for him. I'm not dying. Think of it scientifically. I'm just evolving into a different, worse life form. I'll still exist in some way. And then he tells them to get out of there. Yeah, most people are, would be like, shoot me, you know, finish yeah. me off now before I come back is one of those things. And he's like, <clears throat> maybe it's a sci- scientist in him, you know, saying, well, you know, this, sh- this could be interesting. But- just like the governor. But it's kind of funny that it's Alice that grabs the gun to shoot the zombie. Right. And I, I'm kind of surprised that Rodriguez is more worried about zombies coming to get them <laughs> than other people coming to investigate the gunshot. So uh, I am constantly creeped out by the governor's daughter. That was a yeah. great reveal. When they pulled it off, but here, damn it, honey, eat it. It's not completely fresh, but I swear this thing was walking not two hours ago. It's like, wow, you have just, you have no concept of reality at this point, do you? Yeah, yeah. And then Michonne just busts through the freaking door. (laughs) And it's just like, oh, so this is what Bayback looks like. I had no idea. (laughs) Just, um, no, just. You're right. There, 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 you guys have said this before. There's like the two types of Walking Dead stories. There's the talking heads, and then there's the balls to the wall action. Right. And this is definitely that second type. And that's why I think it read so quickly when I was going through it. It's just like, man, this issue is over already. Holy crap! <laughs> yeah, and this one was, and like, this one was such a relief too because it was just at this by by this point. You really wanted to get them out of there, you know. Yes. Yeah. It was just so emotionally, you know, especially what was happening to Michonne. It was just like you you wanted her to either die or get free because it was it's pretty harrowing, you know. And uh, 
So when this when this fi- so when you finally get Rick and Glenn and Michonne all together and they're heading out, it's just like, oh, finally, you know, get the hell out of there. Yeah, I definitely had that sense because, um, you know, Rick is, of course, you know, the the hero of the book and, and, you know, who the book is largely, you know, at least up to this point has been about. But for me, you know, Glenn is my second favorite character. So, yeah. you know, it was it was this thought of, you know, I, I didn't want anything to happen to either one of them. And then Michonne was kind of, you know, up to this point, up to the storyline was that character that was just like, nah, I don't really like this character. You know, she's this token, goofy, Electra character. But suddenly with the horrible shit that's happening to her in this, then, you know, you want to see her get out of there, too, because it's, you know, just to make it stop. It's just you know? terrible, yeah. Yeah, and uh, so, yeah, this this was the issue where you're like, finally, you know, they're they're making a break. Let's hope that they get out of there, you know, and. And uh, yeah, I, I had the the same notes, you know, largely about you know when the doctor gets it, and it's so ironic, you know, because they had just gotten to the other side of the wall, and he says, "I can't believe we made it out of there so easily," you know, he's you know his last words pre bite are, "I'm just so relieved," and then the very next panel, yeah. chomp. Right you never net, say anything you know? like that in zombie yeah. world. You never say anything like that. It's just we're safe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think the the thing that's more horrific for me than you know his when he's dying and saying you know I'm not dying think of it scientifically I think what's actually more horrific is the 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 panel here of the zombie has pulled him over and is just laying into his neck and the doctor's just stunned and he's going what what is it is it one of them is it one of the biters and it's just like Wow, you know, there's something he's very powerful yeah. about that that he's getting eaten and and just you know the the incredulity or whatever. I, that's that's really just horrifying to me. And I like this part. I you know it, it it could be very cheesy, and I worry that if they try to adapt this in the TV show that it that they may skip it, fearing that it'll come off cheesy. You know, his his dying thing of, you know, I'm not dying and all that, you know, and he's yeah. evolving because that's one of those things where it would have to be acted just a certain way to avoid yeah. coming off as really goofy or really silly, you know. But I like yeah. it. I really do like it because that is a very, you know, it's a way a scientist or a doctor might look at the situation really, you know. So... But yeah, I, I like this issue a lot. But what I like best about it is what it sets up for next time around. Because yeah, this, as he says, is going to be interesting. <laughs> well, <laughs> are we ready for that? Or, uh... Do we have time? You think? Yeah, we might as well. All right, we might as well. Okay, so finally for this time around, we are going to give you a bonus. We're going to go one issue further into The Walking Dead. And uh, before we do that, now, you know, The Walking Dead and and our segment covering The Walking Dead, of course, has never been, you know, your child's nighttime, you know, bedtime story. But I just feel like I have to issue that that little extra warning. This one is really going to be... You know, some some not stuff kids. that's not for the little ones. So you know, well, it's not just you and me doing poopy jokes and yeah, exactly stuff like that. Yeah, this one is pretty hardcore shit. So I'm just telling you, you know, make sure pretty that strong meat from <laughs> Sam Peckinpah. <laughs> 
So make sure uh, you're not playing this one around the kitties, all right? Okay, make sure so you're not eating a big bowl of like noodles or pea soup with this right? while we're talking. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so The Walking Dead number 33 by all the uh, usual people. <clears throat> Michonne and the governor face off as his zombie daughter chows down from a bucket of human body parts. The governor's eyes shift to Michonne's katana laying nearby. She sees it too, and as he leaps for it, she delivers a vicious boot to the head and reaches the sword first. He rises and advances on her, and she delivers another vicious kick, this time right in the boys. In a scene completely reminiscent of her short-lived arena fight with Eugene back in issue number 31, the governor goes down, puking and holding his crotch, as Michonne stands over him, ready to deliver the killing stroke. But she stops herself. She doesn't want his death to be this quick, and she doesn't want it to be over so soon. He takes full advantage of her hesitation and launches himself at her again, this time tackling her to the ground and knocking the sword free. They struggle on the carpet, and as he reaches for it, she sinks her teeth into his neck, tearing out a huge chunk of flesh. They both rise again, and the governor calls her a bunch of names, and she responds by battering him into unconsciousness with the hilt of her blade. Sometime later, he awakens to find himself gagged, arms spread and tied at the wrist to opposite ends of the room as he kneels nude on a plank of wood that his, um, you know, thingy has been nailed to. Nice. Nice. Michonne then proceeds to taunt him with all the instruments she intends to use on him, including a pair of pliers, a hammer, an acetylene torch, a big spoon, and an electric drill which she sinks deep into his right shoulder. He screams in agony, and she stops, only to do it all over again. He passes out, and she tapes up the wound, then she slaps the shit out of him and brings him back to consciousness. At which point, she switches to the pliers and rips out the fingernails of his right hand, one <laughs> by one. Yeah, that was... Ugh. Of all the stuff she does, I think that's the one that gets me right there. Yes. So she says, that hand is just ruined now just ruined and she casually lops off his right arm at the elbow with her sword eyes huge in shock and disbelief the governor stares in horror at the stump his life's blood pouring out while Michonne casually lights the torch again sometime later the governor reawakens to a blackened horrid stump of a right arm as Michonne gives a mighty yank and pulls the spoon covered in blood out of his rectum you sure that's blood? Um, yeah, maybe not. <laughs> that's a good point. I Just hadn't saying. thought of that. Yeah, you could be You could be right. Another vicious kick uh, to the head sends the governor over onto his back, and Michonne proceeds to use the bloody, or whatever is on that spoon, spoon. The filthy spoon. The filthy yes. spoon that she just pulled out of his ass to gouge out his left eye. God, that makes that that much creepier, thinking about that. Sp- <laughs> I hadn't even considered that. Ugh. I just want to take a second here to sing a little Ugh. song. Great big gobs of greasy, grimy gopher guts, itty-bitty birdie feet, pickle-fried monkey meat, two big green eyes rolling down a dirty street. Oh, I forgot my spoon. My dirty spoon. Sorry. <laughs> it just brought it all back to me. Stop. Oh. All right, so this is finally enough, even for Michonne, who's suffered so much. 
and what? And she. That's finally enough. Really, it's it wasn't enough time. like ten minutes ago. No. Well, I mean, she kept going, and you know, she was able to keep herself going. But at this point, this is where she kind of loses it, and she pukes and weeps by turns. And for what, to me anyway, seems like it's probably supposed to be a good long while, we see her just kind of sitting and crying and staring at her handiwork with the governor when there's suddenly a a pounding at his apartment door. And it's his men, and they've come, and they're shouting warnings through the door of Michonne having escaped and that the doctor and Alice are missing. So her resolve returns, and she scoops up her sword, and as a last act of revenge against this guy, she casually slices off his unit with a little stick of her blade as the door gives way and then the men rush in and she just opens up this closet door and unleashes the governor's zombie daughter on them from this closet and then she flees the room escapes out the window and the men you know having to contend with this little zombie girl let her go figuring that she's a dead woman out there anyway you know outside the uh, safe zone and they corral the little girl, and after they take care of her, they get their first look at this just, you know, completely fucked up leader of theirs, asking themselves, is he dead? And it turns out that they've completely misjudged Michonne. You know, she's survived out there before, and we're treated to scenes of her making her way out of Woodbury, out into the woods, and back to the scene of the crashed helicopter that started this whole horrible adventure in the first place where she finds Rick and the others huddling uh, for safety and sleep inside the crashed helicopter. So Rick comes out and asks her how she got there so fast. Did she walk all night? Which she responds that she did. And then he asks about the governor. Did you kill him? And the book ends on this splash page of Michonne kind of facing off against the other survivors saying, kill? Kill who? I don't know what you're talking about, Rick. Let's just, let's go home. And holy shit, what an issue. Mm -hmm. I mean, as horrible as what he did to her was, I mean, this was just, you talk about payback. This was payback. But what I liked about this was that it wasn't just mindless. You know, it wasn't just her just being able to just be it was a cathartic revenge i mean it's hard to read it's really hard to read no but i mean for her is what i mean you know because yeah i think that a lesser writer could write this as just you know she ties him up she beats him she tortures him she sets him on fire whatever and then walks away spitting on him and going good you know but she doesn't do that she gets to a point where she finally just can't do anymore she pukes and then she actually cries she's she's upset with what she's done, you know? And that I think that's the most powerful thing of all, is it's one thing to enact revenge on somebody or enact a terrible act on somebody, but it's worse if you actually are a good person with a with a conscience, you know? Well, it's that, like she's it's, buried it so far by the time she hits Rick and those guys that she... I, I seriously believe she really is, doesn't know what he's talking about. Could be. When she goes, yeah. kill, kill who? I think she's not just being, like, smart about it. I think she's... Blocked. She seriously has compartmentalized it. Because remember earlier when we first met her, she was talking to herself. Right. You know, so she's got a little bit of weird multiple personalities going on maybe, you right. know. Absolutely. 
It's you can you don't really know right now. She's really a fresh character right now. We don't really know too much about her except right. She's really messed up <laughs> now. If she wasn't before, she is now. I like this issue a lot. It's it's one of my favorites of the entire series so far. However, I had a funny feeling walking away from this issue at the time. And I, I it had been building for a while. Ever since we first met the governor, and I started to get this this vibe, you know, and this comes from long years of having read comic books, you know, typically superhero comic books, is that I started to get the sense right away with the governor that he was Rick's evil counterpart, that, you know, he Rick was the hero, this guy was the supervillain. And this issue to me, I walked away and my biggest, my really my only note after my synopsis on this was the creation of a supervillain with a question mark because that's what I feared happening. Cyborg governor. Exactly, you know? <laughs> I mean, not that I expected him to come back with, you know, a robot arm or anything like that or a bionic eye, but at the same rate, this is classically in comic books how supervillains are created. You know what I mean? And so yes. I, I really feared seeing him later down the road as Rick's Doctor Doom, you know. Well, and I'd, I I'd argue that he's the villain already. No, he's no, the I, super villain already. So, well, I, I would say he's the he's the he's like the the. I'm trying to. Think. Well, let, let me say, put it this way: if 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 they would have just escaped, the governor probably been would have been like, "Well, shit," you know. Maybe right. we'll find their prison. But now the governor is going to want them dead. If the governor lives, he's going to want Rick and Michonne. You know, he's going to want – he's going to have a special – you know, he has vengeance now. Right, right. You know? I, that's the difference I think for me is that, yes, he's, he's – unequivocally he's the bad guy. But to me, he's not uh, He's not a comic book supervillain. And I, that I guess that that was the distinction that I feared was that we were actually witnessing – the creation of of uh, of a supervillain in in the sense that supervillains in comics are usually they're completely single you know they're one track minded you know like Doctor Doom you know what's his mission in life kill Reed Richards you know I don't even know what the hell his beef with Reed Richards is anymore I don't think he knows he just knows that he blames whatever his disfigurement or whatever is on Reed Richards and so every time he pops up that's his mission and that's kind of what I feared from the governor was that. Now he's horribly disfigured, so it becomes, you know, kill Rick, kill Michonne, single-minded, and we're going to see him again in this super villainy kind of role. And, you know, it, it, it set off that spider sense, if you know what I mean. But that, it's not really a criticism. It was just something I kind of feared happening down You're starting to worry. Well, you know, in these early days of The Walking Dead, you start, wor- you start worrying with comics like this. When is this thing going to jump the shark? Right. When is this guy going to run out of ideas? When is it going to start becoming too self-referential? When is it going to become so successful that all of a sudden he starts doing like crazy stuff because he can or whatever? And it just never happened right. so far, you know. Right. And uh, but it seems to always happen eventually with some comic, you know. So I mean that that fear is not an irrational fear that you have. Right. I think this was the know. first time I, I got a real sense of, ooh, you know, this, this, while this is a great issue, this could be setting up, you know, the, the, the thing that's going to turn it, the sour it for me. You know, uh-huh. they're, they're setting up that, that very comic booky 
aspect. And we'll just have to see kind of where that goes. What, what do you think, Mike? We haven't heard much from you on this issue. Um, uh, um, I, think, <laughs> I think would be my, my first reaction to it. No, this was, this was the payback issue. Mm-hmm. And it's the issue that needed to happen for Michonne as a character, considering who she is. You know, she's she would not let the degra- de- degradation stand. You know, she's going to get her get back. And that one page of her showing her him all the tools, I kind of get the feeling that the person, the screenwriter for, um, what is that called? Crap, it was a Gerard Butler movie with uh, Jamie Foxx. Crap. What was that movie called? I was just talking about it the other day. Big Mama's was... House? <laughs> Jamie Foxx was in Big Mama's House? I don't know. I was just throwing a movie <laughs> title out there. <laughs> I'm now really scared. Uh, 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 <laughs> um, in a way that I, I don't think a, a lot of people would really... Big Mama's house, really. That's that's the law-abiding citizen. Was the <laughs> yeah, this comic has a lot in common with Big Mama's house. It does, actually. Really, if you think about it. I don't know if you guys have ever seen uh, Law-abiding citizen, but... Jer- no, I wanted to. I heard it's really good. It sounds like it's really up Scott's alley. Uh, yeah, except the ending kind of sucks. Um, no, he, he plays a man whose wife and daughter are killed right in front of him. And the system lets him down, so he starts killing people. And the first guy he kills, he literally does exactly what Michonne does. He goes, I'm going to do this, this I'm going to use on your penis, and then I'm going to do this, and I'm going to use this. So I'm wondering if it's just a trope or if the guy just kind of ripped it off. So (laughs) the screenwriter ripped it off from this comic, which would kind of make sense to me, really. Yeah, he's like, nobody will notice. It's from a comic book. (laughs) It's like the most successful one that. It, <laughs> yeah, but yeah, but we. I mean, we've seen that sort of thing in in other movies before, though. You know, where somebody holds up something, and then you know, you've yeah, got the lately, other person going. I mean, going. there's been a lot of torture in movies lately because it's part of the subconscious now. There's been a lot of talk about tor- torture, and there's like torture. Por- the torture porn is now a genre that people go, "Oh, there's a new torture porn movie out." There is yeah. there's one, a new one out every Halloween when the next Saw movie comes out. It's a whole genre. This sort of takes that the idea of torture porn. I mean, that 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 scene. There's like if you saw, I can't remember the name of the the one movie. They're bit hostile. If you ever saw Hostel, there's scenes similar to that in Hostel, except with this one. It, it's it's Kirkman sort of showing them up because Kirkman's is done with fully drawn characters and makes you just like you know the the fact that you're wincing in pain over this stuff happening to the governor when you when you would think you would sort of be sort of like yeah give it to him you know and you're reading it just going oh, oh, well Jesus Christ you know well that goes to the heart of. Vengeance is a great idea in theory, but actually going but in out practice, and it's it. horrifying. Yeah, it's a, it takes a horrifying yeah, price out of you, know, you in order to exact it. Yes, you know, it's just like man, I'd kill him, and I do this, and I do that. But then actually seeing it, people be like, eh. that's why when everyone says, yeah, you know, one day they're gonna start, you know, showing executions, and it's gonna be the highest rated thing ever. I think that if people ever actually sat down and watched an execution, yeah, there would whole, be one. And yeah, then it, it would be. 
then, then nobody would watch it after that, you know, except for that small percentage of people who are just like, hey. <laughs> but, or, yeah, you know, I mean, yeah, because, yeah, you don't, people really don't want to see that stuff for real. You know, they want to see a, a trumped up, you know, spectacular version of revenge, you know. Yeah. Some, some sort of, you know, very, very, uh, um, Steven Seagal getting his get back at the end of the film. Yeah, yeah you know, <laughs> dropping him off the cliff. I lied. Ha ha. Yeah, exactly. There he goes off the cliff. You get a little zinger in it with him. You know, you look at my face. Remember that face? It looks like my brother's face. You killed my brother. Ha ha ha. The one bit of this episode, I mean, this issue, though, that, that really stays with me is the fact that when he, they only have one shot of it, but I get through that, like, that initial beating. His daughter is still just sitting there eating, not caring. Yeah, dum de dum de dum de dum. And if yeah, why? If, and if they did shoot this as an episode, they really need to have that happening. Just the little girl playing oh, his daughter, I, not. Caring. Oh my god! With her just sort of like a shot of her in the front of the frame, out of focus, eating. Yeah, exactly. While Michonne's going about her business, I. <clears throat> honest to God, I don't know how they're going to pull this off for TV. <laughs> Well, they I just couldn't don't do it know. too graphic because it's AMC and they're not going to do it too graphic. So They've been pretty bloody so far. <laughs> There's a difference they, between bloody and putting a shit-stained spoon in somebody's eye. That's true. <laughs> that's true. It's a, I mean, it's a fine can, line, even, but it's there. Even if you did it without Come on, showing dude, if you it. watched some of primetime programming lately, it is a shit spoon right in the eye. Zing! <laughs> 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 That's the name of this episode. Thank you. I'll be here all year. <laughs> episode twenty-eight: A shit spoon right in the eye. Find a picture of a spoon covered in shit to put in the episode graphic. <laughs> I'm, I'll be doing a Google image search for shit spoon later on. Today. I mean, seriously, dude. I mean, look. Just look at the lineup of prime time on any night of the week, and you've got well, you know these retarded uh, you know sitcoms and everything. Tell me that's not a shit spoon right in the eye. I don't know how many well, watch that stuff. I'm saying, like, you get some of the, the, you know, CSI shows get pretty graphic with, like, things that happen to people that, you know. I could see a CSI describing, you, describing, could you see the CSI version of that, that whole scene where they find the governor's body and, like, you know, and then, then whoever it was must have nailed his penis to the thing. And then, like, the camera zooms in on a hammer going, <laughs> doo, 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 <laughs> you know. <laughs> zoom in on the penis going help me <laughs> no <laughs> with the with the who playing in the background bop, 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 bop. you won't get fooled again yeah <laughs> who are you ow 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 <laughs> i'm sorry that was see we're just laughing we're just laughing to cover up for the trauma that yeah, we the just... revulsion and the revulsion that we just experienced yes but this, this I, I literally look at this issue as a milestone in comic books of extreme, of extremeness in comics. And, you know, there's been, um, trying to think of what, you know, like stuff like Black Kiss, but what was that one that was even more fast, you know? Oh, yeah. There's like sex and violence. There's been way ruder sex and violence in comics, when but there's been rarely anything that packs the punch that this issue you know i mean the letters column was stuffed full between michonne getting raped and the last few issues and this issue the letter box at 
it, The Walking Dead was stuffed full <laughs> for months and months and months and months after this, talking about this. And I think people will be talking about this comic for years and holding it up as a just an incre- you know one of the incre- intense milestones there's like you said mike it, it, the the bar for depressing issues does get set higher but as far as for one that has sort of a story instead of just like horrible things happening to it this one is like one of the milestone issues of the whole run of walking dead so far of yeah. just like how far how far will kirkman go well you could pull out this one as a as the prime example of like here <laughs> and, and here's why because if they had had her do all that and then the next thing you see is rick and company and then she coming up and asking that would have been like uh but the fact that she sits there for an extended period of time and looks at her handiwork and vomits and cries you know that's the emotional element where you see she did all this because she was out of her freaking mind, but now her rational mind is kind of coming back uh-huh. and has to deal with that. I mean, yeah. I got to tell you. Well, it you shows know. you that she's still, you know, I mean, the thing about it is she could have done all that and maybe come out of it not so much human as she was before. But you see that, like, she sort of turned it off to do that, but then it comes back, you know, and she starts even having some sort of basic empathy for him. And, and realistically, when you think about it, I mean, the, the, uh, luckily the rape scenes and stuff were not as graphic, you know, they were more hinted at than, uh, than what you see in this one. But man, you know, I mean, it's just almost impossible to imagine what she went through, you know, yeah. and that, that she had time to sit and think about probably what she was going to do to him if she ever got free. And the thing about Michonne is she's totally capable physically of doing you know she's pretty much a physical match for almost any character we've met in this so far in a fair fight you know so you know her sitting there thinking this is what i'm gonna do to you when i get out of here is a pretty realistic you know when she got out of there she could do it you know she actually was like all right i can go do this and she does and then you see you know the price that she has to pay for actually doing that instead of just having it in her imagination, you know, for catharsis. Although the catharsis does not describe at all what happens in this this particular issue. And I like how everybody's just like, hey, Michonne, you're back, and they have no idea. You yeah. Know? <laughs> as, as a matter of fact, the, the only one who sort of has any kind of clue as to what's going on, I think, is Glenn, because he actually got to hear what happened to her, you know, and hear the the governor talking to her and stuff. I, I would imagine that, that Rick could have, you know, a pretty good, I mean, the guy lopped off his hand for God's sake, you know, he could, but I think Rick's sort of in his own space here of where he's, you know, Glenn was like, Hey, I heard what happened to her, but Rick is probably, I think more in like, I want to get home. Rick's mind is, is a little, you know, Rick's got a, a wife with, who's pregnant at home too. So, you know, he's probably eager to get, I, you know, it, it seems to me like he's not really completely thinking through what could have happened. He was just like, all right, you're here and you're all right. But then again, Rick and Mc, they're, they're cut from the same cloth. So he was probably just like, you know, if she's alive, then she's okay, you know, or as okay as she's going to be, you know. 
I don't know. It's it's a strong meat. This is this is a great issue, but it's not one I I don't think that I would that would be one that I would read over and over a lot. <laughs> you know, I yeah. would read it if I'm reading them in order and I and I went through it. I wouldn't avoid it per se, but <laughs> do you really want to hang out with the person that wants to read this issue? Over yeah, and just over and over yeah. again. I was just going to say I would yeah. about somebody like that. Yeah, yeah. Well, there's pe- I I like it. Yeah, I'm sure there are people out there who are just like, oh. and there were people who were writing in to like and saying stuff like that. Kirkman's just like, I don't think you got what we were going for, right. you know. It's it's definitely. I mean, it, it set a whole new bar for this sort of thing, and uh, it, it, it's a shame that it didn't hold on to the title longer because then, you know, Final Crisis came along just a short while later and, and raised that bar again for just pure just horror. But th- that time it was inflicted <laughs> on the reader. So yeah, That was a different kind of shit spoon. There you go. Right in the eye. <laughs> Did you know you can sponsor an episode of this or any other of your favorite Two True Freaks affiliated shows? That's right. Simply click the PayPal link on our website, donate any amount at all, tell us which show you're choosing and what message, if any, you'd like us to read on your behalf, and you will be an official sponsor of that show's very next episode with your message read in the show's opener. It's that easy. And there is no minimum donation. Be a show sponsor today. Visit our website at twotruefreaks.libsyn.com. Two True Freaks is always spelled T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S. Libsyn is spelled L-I-B-S-Y-N. You can email Two True Freaks directly at twotruefreaks at gmail.com. Join our forum at forumforgeeks.com where you can discuss all of the shows on our feed with us and your fellow listeners. You can find Two True Freaks on Facebook. Just search for Two True Freaks. And hey, you can friend me, Scott Gardner, on Facebook too. My name is spelled S-C-O-T-T-G-A-R-D-N-E-R. You can friend me on Facebook too, if you can find me. Now available, Two True Freaks t-shirts. See our website for details. Two True Freaks is a very proud member of the Comics Podcast Network. You can check that out at www.comicspodcast.com, where you can hear our new episodes when we put them up. We are also members of the League of Comic Book Podcasts. For more information, visit comicbooknoise.com slash league. If you ever leave your house and you actually have friends, why don't you tell them about Two True Freaks? Thanks for listening, and join us every Monday for new episodes of Two True Freaks.